Welcome to this week's episode of the Chopping Wooded Side Podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. This is my loyal psychic, Tom. Say hello. I think I'm high! Oh, that was such a fantastic scene. We're here to talk about part seven. And what a segue that you just uh, uttered there, because that was probably my favorite beginning of any episode so far this year. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, as soon as it kind of just, it just kind of jumps right into it. I mean, he's just standing there in the forest. And yeah, first thing cut. we get, Jerry Horn. I'm like, okay, I'm in. And he's, he's terrified, <laughs> bewildered. We're like, what? Who's chasing him? He's looking in the woods. Who's out there? Someone's out there. Is Bob out there? Right. Who's out there? And it turns out that he just lost his car. He got really, or he got really high, lost his car and, or the car was stolen and he called Ben or Ben called him and uh, he doesn't know where the hell he is. What a, which, you know, kind of like, if you think about it, it's kind of like uh, Dougie, right? I mean, it's like Dougie's had his car, well, it wasn't stolen, but uh, Dougie doesn't know where the hell he is. He's not high, but. I even thought that know. maybe he was just so high that he didn't know, he couldn't utter any words except for like someone stole my car. I think maybe he was just so high. He did, that's the only thing that came out of his mouth. And I love the look of disappointment and defeat when he hears the dial tone like Ben Horn and just lowers his head. <laughs> and silent right. defeat about his yeah, brother's debauchery. That was, debauchery know, right? that was so oh, great. Oh, Jerry. Oh, Jerry. Yes, I mean, just so... Oh, God. I can only imagine what's going on in the last 25 years between the two of them. Do you think Jerry, you know, the last time we saw him was watching... Dr. Amp, a.k.a. Dr. Jacoby's, you know, crazy, you know, uh, video, podcast, whatever the hell he was doing out there. And he was in the woods smoking pot, right? He was getting high in the woods. Right. Do you think he's been lost for like a couple of days or? No. He just, he just ventures <laughs> I out. I think he's just high. He's like a super multimillionaire with his pot farm. So he probably tried the newest strain of AK-47 by way of Amsterdam Express and uh, was just super high and just had to, I think, he, I think he called Ben, but then he probably called Ben and forgot why he called Ben and forgot who he, who he called right. or then where he was and what planet he was on. And that's how the comedy ensued. Great. But for a moment there, I thought it was going to be, you know, like some terrifying moment, you know. For well, a possibly if any person in Twin Peaks is alone in the woods, it doesn't matter if, matter yeah, if it's bad. Jerry or Cooper or anyone else, something bad could happen. So, and I thought that what was going on there, but of course, how it played out was e even better. I loved just the the just kind of the insanity of Jerry Horn, not the insanity, but he's just completely like he's he's lost it. I mean, he's he's completely high. He's you know he doesn't know where the hell he is. I loved it, and Ben, and it was great to see them again. It's been a while, so it was good to see them again. Actually, you know, so I'm very happy that's how the episode started. Yeah, we've been waiting for you know since episode one to see more of Ben and Jerry. They were some of our favorite guys, and I loved like how when he uh, later in the episode when he, he he's uh, hearing the hum at the Great Northern Hotel and investigating that room with Ashley Judd, you see a little bit of, bit of the old Ben. You know, he's trying to resist being the cad and taking advantage of his employees, like he probably has no doubt done for the last six years. Um, <laughs> but uh, when she leaves and doesn't like, he gives a little you know call me Ben type of little tiny little advance, and uh, when she doesn't bite. Uh, he lowers his head in defeat and walks away down the, the you know, through the wall, halls of the Great Northern like he used to, like Lord Vader after uh, Lord Vader missed out on a rebel uh, spaceship with his hands behind his back. 
head down. I was like, that's a great little Ben moment. A little, it was almost like one second. I watched it again, and I imagined it being a longer scene there. But uh, imagine him doing the whole five-second Vader walk down the Star Destroyer. <laughs> but uh, it was really just like one second, and he just kind of walked that way. But uh, it was. Uh, I love Richard Beamer and David Patrick Kelly. So those guys are just have really uh, given us a great feeling to start the episode off with, and then it just kept going, man. I mean. What do you want to talk about next? It's a, it's a, it's a you know, embarrassment of riches, I think, in this episode where every, every scene was just so like, iconic and amazing like, on, upon first viewing. It was. I mean, this one, watching this one, uh, I mean, I've said it two other times where episode three and episode five, okay, this, you know, this one is my favorite. You know, and, uh, and then after this one, I, I really believe this one is my favorite. It just not only is it kind of starting to make sense in, in some you know, ways, but... Also, it's it's opening up even a little bit more of, of you know new characters, mysteries, and I just think that it's just got this forward forward momentum now that we're kind of really into the second act, right? So if this was if this is considered an eighteen hour film, which Lynch says that it is, we're we're you know a third of the way through it now, or just past the, we're now into the second act. So it makes sense now that. Things are starting to make sense a little bit. We're spending a little bit more time in Twin Peaks. Mr. C has now left jail. He's back out, you know, with the general population, so to speak. And uh, it's starting to all kind of make sense. I do want to talk about just what you finished off with the, the Ben Horn and uh, Ashley Judd scene. I think she plays Beverly. That scene, just the way, I mean, there wasn't a lot that happened. Really, the only thing that happened in that scene was the, we've got... The, the, the clue now, or not the clue, but the key came back, right? That Jade sent to, uh, or dropped right. in the mailbox in Vegas. But, and then there's this this flirtation, obviously, going on between the two of them. You know, the old Ben Horn, you know, he, you think he, he probably, from the first scene that we saw him, he's maybe changed his ways a little bit. You know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, maybe respectfully, respecting Yeah, I think that mental now. breakdown where he thought he was a Civil War general for a few weeks there really did affect him for the better, I think. Yeah, maybe. But you can tell that he's he pines a little bit. I mean, there's he, you can detect an he undercurrent. for his old ways, his old ways of life. his old ways of life. Right, yeah. But that scene, and then the, the hum, just this, whatever that is, that... Uh, like, it's what is, Josie. It's the ghost. Is of it Josie? Josie? Dude, that we've been wanting to see that the, there was something spooky going on at the Great Northern Hotel the entire season, and finally something spooky is going on at the Great Northern Hotel. Yeah. I don't think that's just a one-off. I think that's something going on. But it do you could, think it's potentially, Josie? Well, I mean, it may be Josie. That would be the easy fan service type of thing. But I think somehow that maybe it ties into Room Three Fifteen. That maybe there's some sort of coordinate maybe the coordinates lead to room 315 because like i don't know but there's always been some lynchian shit going black lodge type of things uh going on at the the great northern and that's where he saw the um you know the giant and uh so i think that's a possibility i mean that's obviously an extreme possibility but i think there is something spooky going on at the great northern hotel that might have lodge uh, activity involved yeah there's something going on there and i think when she said he asked her how long or, or when did she first hear it she said last week when I heard that, I didn't really think of the key. I just thought of the fact that Cooper getting out of the lodge probably around that same time. Obviously, he's not back in he's not in Twin Peaks yet or whatever. But maybe like the wheels are in motion now and tied into the key and the room. Obviously, Glastonbury Grove. That's just some kind of indicator that something is going on because I really don't think that we're going to have. You know that you know the Ghostbusters are going to come into the Great Northern and find. <laughs> but you know, did, Josie. didn't the giant though in Episode One mention three fifteen? Wasn't that 
the number that he mentioned? I think he mentioned 430. Oh, right? so there's never been. What about the electrical sockets in episode three? Was any of them 315? Yeah, there were two of them. One was three and one was 15. Yeah. So. All right. Well, there's the connection there. So there's that. Uh, yeah. It may be. And this may be a wild goose chase, but it's something that really struck me. And it's only because you know it involves the Great Northern Hotel and the the Horn Brothers, who I love so dearly. We saw so many great uh, characters from the old original series. You know, I mean, at the beginning, right after the we see the horns, we see, uh, you know, Laura Palmer essentially on the page, and 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 Truman and Hawk talking about that story and bringing us up to speed from. You know, Firewalk with me. It was like a, a tied up loose uh, thread of narrative that we've been waiting nearly de- three decades to see come to uh, fruition, and that was a joy to see that scene as well. It was that whole thing. It was, I mean, massive exposition, but I think every Twin Peaks fan loved every second of it. Uh, I, I really, you know, liked seeing the pages. I liked seeing the scrawl. I'm wondering if they got Cheryl Lee to actually write that. I mean, it looked like a female, like yeah, handwriting. I loved her script. Um, and and the, I, I also like the fact, and I think you mentioned this when she's when when Hawk, or I think Sheriff Truman is actually Sheriff Frank Truman is, is reading it. Um, in in parentheses, when he's reading like you know what Annie is telling her, and she mentions Laura, she writes in her diary like me question mark question mark. Yeah. Like I thought that was like a little a little touch subtlety. of realism there. Yeah, because she right. was going, well, who are they referring to? Me, Laura, or a different Laura? Because there's. There's a lot of lures out there. so that Right. So, and we finally get... And there's the a missing first... page. There's a missing page, too. Yeah, there? which is interesting, really? right? What's I mean, on that fourth page? Well, I've got... Okay, so here's a... a giant picture of Killer Bill's head. <laughs> Killer Mr. Bill. C as <laughs> yeah, Bob. Well, you know... If, Sketch if, rendering. <laughs> have you memory. seen that? Right. Um, have you seen this man? If you uh, remember that her diary was found in the series at Harold Smith's place... Of residence, and he actually Hawk actually mentions yeah, Harold Hawk. Smith, Lenny Von um, but I think Lenny Von Dolan, the great Lenny Von Dolan, but wasn't Laura's Palm, Laura Palmer's diary like they found it? It was all like shredded and ripped up, and Cooper had to kind of piece it together at, back at the sheriff's department, like you know later on that day, and that's what wasn't he there was, an original like a fake diary that somehow they found? Like remember when they when Lenny Von Dolan's version popped up in episode whatever. What episode was that? Like season two, right? That was or season something. two, like episode like. And they were five saying this is something. like the real diary of Laura Palmer. Yeah, right? the secret diary of Laura Palmer. It's a secret diary. So where who, where did that where did the other diary come from? Well, she what had the, two diaries. She had the one diary that they found in the was, pilot that was like was a you false know, flag asparagus diary? for dinner. I hate asparagus. Will this mean I'll never grow up? Oh, but that's where she had remember the the little packet with the uh, residue of cocaine and the safety deposit key. You think she would keep that in her real diary? Yeah, you would think so, right? Yeah. yeah. So that the secret diary was found at Harold Smith's, but it was all like kind of shredded and torn up. So my thing when when Hawk said, "Well, you know, there's three or four pages or whatever," how, how could you tell it wasn't you know found intact? But you know, it's okay. Well, I think it's, they looked through the diary and they saw the four pages missing. You know, what I'm saying when you rip rip a page out of a diary, you can still see the little you know trace of it still there. So, but there probably right. was four pages that were ripped out. And in, in, in sequence. But it looked like in that scene that all the pages, like you saw the cover on the floor at Harold Smith's, it really looked like he had actually torn out all the pages. And it just, it was scattered across the Oh, his yeah, floor. after he committed suicide, you're saying. Yeah. After, or before right. he committed suicide, obviously. Before, yeah, that's what it looked like. But, scene. you know, that's, that's nitpicking. The one thing that's interesting is that uh, we get our first callback to Annie. Obviously, you know, in, in yeah. the diary, you know, when he, uh, Truman read it, but Hawk says, Annie, I think it's Annie Blackburn, and it's the girl who went into that place, meaning the Black Lodge. So 
he knows, right? And he even said, like, Harry brought Cooper, our, you know, saw Cooper come out with Annie. So all of that is like, you know, it, it's tied in. We, we finally got, I mean, we knew this happened or whatever, but for characters to actually speak of this after so long, it was great. It wasn't just fan service because I think it's moving the plot forward. But the one thing that I really didn't ag- agree with was Hawk's assessment. Like, was this really good police work that he thought it was Leland? Who actually hid the pages? Yeah, I like that he jumped to a conclusion there. That's interesting. Do you think that's uh, valid? <laughs> it does, doesn't really make much sense, right? So Leland had been holding these pages. <laughs> he's just for... carrying it around with him. He just scrambles and just sticks it in the. He's taking a taking a little number two, and he's just like, you know, sees the little. <laughs> right. There it is. Let's just drop it in there. Like, Why does well, he just yeah, drop in the trash? I guess just you know, I would. Why not burn it? You know, wrap. You know, kind of like you know, well, no, it's it up like and... he's, a, he's like he's fetishizing the whole incident for himself. Well, sure, Bottom right. Serial so killers, they the token, yeah, they keep trophies and whatnot. But... Well, actually, I thought it was fairly plausible. You know, I thought, well, who? Okay, well, who else would have done it? So, sure, it's, it was him. Leland obviously was the one tearing out the pages. I think that's where I don't think they're going to continue this mystery of like who who placed the pages there. I think. I think that was almost like that's what that's what the two characters are thinking, or that's what Hawks is speculating. And really, who cares? And we're going to keep moving. No, yeah, no. I, I just it, it's it's kind of funny if you think about it that Leland was carrying around these pages, and then you know was you know when he was brought in for questioning for Jacques' murder. Uh, excuse me, I just need to use the restroom real quick. It goes in me. there, and he hides them there instead of actually. Why don't they like, test it for uh, uh, Ray Wise or uh, Leland Palmer DNA, like tears and so forth? Can you right. Yeah. Ex- ex- they've got the dust, equipment dust in the back now. Now, right that that super yeah. high tech yeah so that was great and then, we, and then we have a great cameo by doc hayward right oh man it was so great and, and you just told me last night that he actually is the father of mark frost which i and i'm sure a lot of twin peaks fans didn't make that connection or maybe i'm the only moron but um, i think you're a, the only moron i think you really <laughs> are <laughs> i just think frost is a pretty you know jack frost uh mark frost it's possible to have name me a third frost other than and mark i thought frost how could how frost. dare nepotism even though wasn't joanna ray's son uh, in the show or leo, was it leo johnson the yeah that's the, her the, son yeah, yeah so there was a little nepotism there she's the casting yeah. director but uh yeah so yeah okay. so we had doc hayward it was interesting that we had doc hayward on skype do you think that because uh, Warren Frost, he passed away, I believe, earlier this year. And I, when I was reading about his death, I think Mark Frost was talking a little bit about it, like eulogizing his father. And I think he had mentioned that his father had Alzheimer's. I mean, I think Warren Frost was like around 90. Uh, but that scene, I mean, he was, obviously he was given a script page and, you know, he, well, great performance. He was reading the dialogue or, you know, so. Cut two think trousers in his pajamas. Right, exactly. How they got maybe, there, I'll never know. <laughs> that was maybe one of the first things that they shot, since it wasn't like a legitimate yeah. like that they knew maybe he wasn't going to be well enough uh, to have like a scene with like a crew and everything. That hey, look, we'll just do this, and Frost was probably there. Yeah. Maybe Frost even directed it. Um, so I, I mean, who the hell knows? It doesn't really mean anything. I'm glad we saw him. And it advanced the plot. And what bit of information, what crucial bit of information did we get in that scene? Oh, it was a huge uh, little bombshell that he let out that he had seen. uh, Well, he was, you know, they were calling him to talk about the state, the mental state of Cooper when he came out of the lodge over the lot, you know, back in 25 years ago to, to investigate the whole Annie lead from the diary. And. You know, he said, well, I did see Coop. He was acting mighty strange. But he also uh, added that he saw Coop again in the, uh, the intensive care uh, part of the hospital after he had checked himself out in full clothing and that he had just been visiting 
uh, Audrey Horn, who had survived the bank explosion, was in a coma. Uh, and he saw Coop walking down the hall, leaving Audrey's room, and he gave uh, uh, Doc Hayward a, a look, a strange look, uh, and then left without saying anything, which opens up a whole can of speculation in terms of uh, why was he there? Was he there seeing Audrey? Was he there? You would think he would be there seeing Annie, right? Exactly. That's what I would think. Yeah. Well, the scary part is the terrifying, you know, is that perhaps this evil Coop, he wouldn't care about Annie. He would uh, somehow be wanting to corrupt uh, Audrey Horn in a coma. And the, the, and that the speculation <laughs> if she, if Richard Horn uh, is her son, could be the evil love child of... Uh, of a really horrible instance in the hospital um, that they're they're alluding to that might be possible. I was pretty dumbfounded by that once I actually put the pieces together. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not going there. I don't. I, I'm not going to go on. Um, the I hope that's not true because la- they also you know allude later in the episode, which we'll get to, is is her his experience, uh, Evil Coop's experience with Diane, exactly. which also right. seems pretty disturbing. Yeah, I thought, I mean, the way that I... But you're not going there. No, the way that I uh, interpreted that was, uh, it was the first mention of Audrey Horn that, we, that we've had. This is the first mention that Audrey Horn in the series, and the callback to the last episode of the original series where there was the bank explosion, and, you know, the fallout, that she was in a coma, she was in ICU. Of course, having Coop go in there... Why would he do that? I mean, if it was if it was just Agent Cooper, we know why he would go in there. He would want to check on Audrey Horn. Um, the, but Mr. C, you know, Doppel Cooper or whatever, he obviously has you know he's not he's not well intentioned or whatever. But I still don't want to go That's in there with that he would that he would take that opportunity to sexually assault her in some kind of way. And uh, so I, I'm just not going to go there. I just. Just I like the fact that it was you know we got a mention of Audrey Horn. We know she's going to be in the series. We know that she was in a coma. So when we do see her at some point, we'll have that information that it wasn't just like oh she had some you know, you know scrapes and, and cuts and bruises or whatever. She actually was in a, and we don't know how long she was in a coma for. Um, so it opens up a whole you know kind of like you know endless possibilities with her character. Is she still? You know, uh, you know, traumatized by that? Is she still feeling the effects, like you know, with her health in some fashion from that? Is she in a wheelchair? Is she scarred? We don't know. But I'm not going to go. At least right now, I just don't think that it was, you know, Mr. C, you know, sexually assaulting her at that point. I hope well, it's not that. Yeah, they they are giving us indications that it might be, and that right. later on in the episode we can move on to talk about Diane. Or do you want to talk about uh, Lieutenant Knox's visit to uh, South Dakota first? Let's talk about Diane. Let's go into Diane. Well, you know, yeah, go go for it because Diane paints a similar story in terms of her last meeting with with uh, Cooper, and in one of the one of the top five most uh, amazing scenes so far, I think, in the episode when she confronts Evil Cooper in the South Dakota jail. God, I mean, I, I would almost take, well, 18 hours of just some various God, people so... interrogating Cooper. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he turns into a different person when he's in the God, interrogation so... room. Super evil. God. And just, dude, I can't even, I mean, I, I didn't know Kyle McLaughlin had it in him. And this I didn't a, either. I really didn't. Yeah. Creature in, in these scenes where he's being interrogated. And uh, yeah. Laura Dern was just fantastic. Um, do you want to describe the scene? Uh, well, I, I want to talk about the lead up because uh, one of the things that was really different about this episode was when we were introduced, say, like, you know, when, when we see Cole in his office whistling a tune 
and uh, Albert comes I love in. That and he, scene. And what was he whistling? Him. People have been trying to figure that out. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. With Lynch, who the hell knows? It could be He's got his uh, hearing aid turned up high so he can hear yeah. his own whistling. The joy of being able to hear yourself whistle in front of a nuclear bomb. <laughs> I mean, just a office. great like composition. Yeah. It was. I was just. Just beautiful. But then Albert comes in and we get, you know, the report basically that he met with Diane, but she wasn't having any of it. She didn't want to talk to him. And then, you know, Albert uh, uh, Cole says basically, you know, he's going to go with Albert. Albert's going to come with Cole to now try to talk to Diane. And as soon as that scene ended, I was like, okay, we'll see that in the next episode or the episode right after that. But then we cut right to her apartment. And I love like she's got some you know gentleman caller suitor some some boyfriend someone he opens the door and it's just this long shot and uh, we hear Lynch as Cole say FBI champ and yeah. I just love the way he just like I just it was just he he could just read the phone book as Cole and I would just love it but and we had a great scene you know we had you know her smoking a cigarette you got some coffee yeah got just some like, coffee tough cookie. It was just a great scene, and that he obviously he convinced her. And I think what it was, a little subtlety, after I think she presented the coffee, and uh, Cole says, Diane, you know, like this is about something uh, that you know about, but we're not going to get into it right now. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, whatever, which in my opinion was in, in a uh, kind of a reference to the Blue Rose. Um, yeah, I think it's a direct reference to the Blue Rose. We talked about Diane this the other night. It was like you would think, well, maybe Diane as, as Cooper's secretary wouldn't be privy to Blue Rose. But in Fire Walk With Me, the last scene of Agent Cooper, the last scene of the prologue, basically, is Agent Cooper after he visits the Fat Trot trailer park. And he's talking to Diane. And one of the things that he mentions is this is one of Cole's Blue Rose cases. So she, I think she does know that. And I think that was the seal for that deal, you know, for for her to, okay, agree to come with them. And then it was like, <clears throat> okay, we got that. We'll see what happens in the next episode, maybe. But then we cut right to the plane, right? They're on the plane. I mean, we're going... Yeah, I want to know how the FBI can afford a Learjet like that, private Learjets. Um, they must be very high up on the James Comey uh, hierarchy. Well, Gordon Cole right. is the deputy director of the FBI. He's number two. So he would be right below Comey. Like... He would have maybe been, you know, in the real world, since Comey was uh, fired by Trump, I think the next in line would be, obviously it's not like the president, vice president, whatever, but, you know, I think they would give special consideration for the deputy director. And that would have been... They must, they must have a larger budget than the X-Files budget. That's good. They do, right? Yeah. So we have well, that. I love that scene on the plane. The scene was great. It really showed Diane as being like a broken woman and that something, the FBI has fucked her over in the past. Right. And that she is a right. dam- she's damaged from it. And which right. is the opposite, you know, uh, of how she's described in the, you know, I don't know if it's called the Chronicles of Agent Cooper where they wrote a book. I think it's the autobiography of Dale Cooper. Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. yeah. And in that, he refers to her, you know, as a mix between a cabaret singer and a saint. And uh, the oh, saint is, is yeah. fallen. And I want to see, you know, after this episode, I want to see some redemption for Diane. I want to know what happened um, with her and Cooper that night at her house. Because the way he says, she's like, you remember the last time you saw me, Cooper? And he's like, yes. Where, where, where were we? And he goes, at your house. Oh, my. That Which was... sound reminded me of like the Zodiac killer in the beginning <laughs> of Zodiac. When he, when he kills those two kids out in the very first scene. Then he goes, goodbye. That was like, what is dude? And she's like, then he goes, I'll never, like, I'll always remember that night. And she's talking about it like, you know, that it was a, this horrible event. You know, I, I never will either. But he's almost saying like, 
I'll never. I'll, I think he's cherishing the memory in a strange way. Or in a Bob like yeah, like a Bob like fashion, you know. Right. That, that was, goes back to our theory that like maybe 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 Mr. C's been out, you know. If he is going out having sex with lots of women over the last 25 years, how many of them have seen Bob's face during mid-coitus, um, like Laura used to with Leland? Maybe <laughs> Diane uh, saw a little glimpse of Bob while they were, and maybe he took advantage of her. Maybe maybe they had a long-burning romance or something on the back burner, and he shows up, and he, she, it's like regular Cooper. Everything's great. And then halfway through, something horrible happens, and you see Bob. You're in bed with Bob suddenly. Right. That's like, ooh. Well, that goes to something else we've, we've, we've talked about as well, is that even though Bob is you know, this you know, kind of evil demon spirit or whatever, he's probably a very good fuck, right? Yeah, he's probably pretty good in the sack yeah. if he doesn't murder you. you know, right, He doesn't yeah. torture you if he's right. just into you know, being right. up for fun because he's obviously always wanting to do it, and he's very libidinous, as uh, <laughs> we'd say. So I just had a little flash of that with the Audrey thing and the Diane thing, you know, Mr. C with uh, Daria earlier. And, you know, Maybe that's a part of this, that, that it still is the Bob lascivious uh killer angle that's uh you know th what's the worst thing you know cooper could do when he comes out of the lodge once you're in cooper's body impersonating him you just go in sully like the two the, all the saints and like the, the the most you know saintly women that you love the most the first thing you do right off the bat go to go in and get them first that's like ooh, right right and Chilling. we don't but we don't know yet we don't know if it yeah, this was is all speculation but mr c Slash, you know, like, you know, Bob as you know, Cooper or Bob in Cooper, or if it was something that happened before Cooper went to Twin Peaks, which is unlikely. I mean, the the uh, the uh, insinuation is that it was after, you know, he was possessed by Bob because obviously it's affected. It was a very traumatic evening for for Diane and she's carried it with her for 25 years so much so that when she first hears about Cooper she doesn't give a shit about it she doesn't want to even go there when Albert you know mentioned that it was about Cooper or could possibly be about Cooper so yeah so and I think you know we'll get some form of answer because she tells Cole at the end after that scene with him with uh, with Mr. C that she tells him that it's not the Dale Cooper that she knows like something is missing and she points to her heart and uh, that she will tell Cole at some point what happened that night because obviously they were listening in, right? Because he goes, you want to tell me about that night in question? Yeah, she and, wanted to be yeah. private. But uh, going back really quickly to the, to the airplane scene, uh, yeah. I would like to just briefly talk about and get your thoughts on the only oh, known yeah. photograph of Mr. C <laughs> in the last 25 years. He's like episode <laughs> three, like uh, Miami Vice, like evil cocaine yeah. villain character. Right. I um, want to know who was, was such a great scene. Was that like a setup? I mean, that like the, the like the the way that no, they, it has to it looks like it was photoshopped or something. It doesn't look like it was well, no, like but actually. if this really happened, it looked like someone was only like ten feet in front of him and had his permission. It wasn't some kind of surveillance footage. See, I always thought that if they were going to go there with like, okay, we've got this this one photograph of of, of Cooper. In the last 25 years, it would be something like Oswald being seen in Mexico City like <laughs> yeah. two weeks before. Instead of this like and, postcard for Rio, like literally. <laughs> right, yeah. This, like, he's all swanky. He's like Crockett or Tubbs or whatever. And it's like, you know, you put some like, you know. His and, white linen suit, shades yeah. on by the pool, looking really awesome. But it does open up uh, some some interesting possibilities. The fact that they, they mentioned that it was in Rio and they mentioned that he owned that house. So... 
he's accumulated some wealth over the 25 years. And I know there's been some speculation that he might be the anonymous billionaire. Yeah, we, that, we've speculated that yeah. as well on past yeah. podcasts. Yeah, which is so, all, all the more likely now that we've seen he's had a villa in Brazil. And God knows what he's been up to for the last 25 years. He's been a busier man. We're starting to find out pieces of what yeah, he's been doing. Which, and all of it is very bad. Right. I mean, it's been very bad. I would love if Frost would take a stab at some point of, you know, a book about, you know, Cooper's, you know, shenanigans over the last 25 years. I mean, what an interesting read that would be. And hopefully it'll be a part of the final dossier, which he's actually writing, which will be out sometime, I think, in October or something. So... It would be a compelling read for sure. What yes. do you want to talk? I thought you were going to mention about the plane scene uh, when Lynch explains the Erev, which is amazing because the Erev like, is something the fanboys had to pick up you know, upon 8,000 viewing. And he just assumes that the audience is so smart that we're just keeping up with all this stuff. And I love the way he explained You want to talk about that scene, how he explained it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. I, you know, what you were getting, it's, it's the, what we're finding out is some of these little like standalone scenes like Tammy – and I think it was episode five in her cubicle. And, you know, we don't, there's no dialogue and she's looking at the fingerprints and we can assume that there's something, you know, going on and, you know, and then we have the payoff and she shows it to him and, and Lynch's or Cole is already savvy to it. I mean, and the fact that he said Erev was like, I mean, it's almost on par of Fire Walk With Me when we had the whole Lil thing and then Desmond explains it. It's like Lynch never really explains things. The fact that he actually said Erev and then he had her hold out her hands and gave her this clue and said, well, this this finger, and it's it's the spiritual, like, did he say spiritual mond or something? I can't remember the word that he well, used Well, it was the whatever. spiritual finger. He held it all ten, and he and obviously, uh, you know, Cooper had said ten, uttered ten words to yes. him in, in the beginning, and that when he, he messed up the Erev or reversed it was on the spiritual ring finger on your left side, which is where, isn't that where the Black Lodge ring is on? Yes. Is it on your left finger? It's on ring that finger? finger. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, and he goes like, chew on that! Like, so that was the thing that he was... Uh, uh, he was explaining it to us. Yeah, but he didn't. Cool. It was very interesting that he got the ear of right and the ring and all this stuff here, but he didn't get Cooper's exact words correct. Correct. Cooper said it's it's era very good. It's era very good to see you again, old friend. And Lynch said, "I'm era very happy to see you again, old friend." <laughs> well, he's old. You know, <laughs> I'm sure he checked it. He checked no, it originally, sure it need, but then yeah. it just kind of blurred in his memory while he was explaining. Right, so that makes right, sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. So right. that's okay. So we're getting all this. So it's obviously it's moving forward. I think that what we're going to have here at the end of that scene after Diane comes out, that he speaks to Warden Murphy and says, "Like keep this man here. We'll be in touch or whatever." And obviously, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, when the FBI is going to come back to the federal penitentiary in South Dakota. Mr. C will not be there. So. Yeah, but should we talk about Buckhorn next? Uh, are we leading into yes, that? Yes, please, please. Let's talk about Well, that's... Buckhorn, uh, we, we see we are introduced to uh, Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters fame's uh, sidekick, Lieutenant Knox, who comes down to investigate uh, Major Briggs's prints showing up. And she is completely shocked to find that the prints actually are on a body. It's a body, all right. And uh, it's Major Briggs's, which we had been speculating from, the, from really the beginning, which was a, a great payoff for all of us uh, fan theorists. Um, so what do you think about that scene? Well, did anyone or did we even talk about that the the body of Briggs, if it was Briggs, 
was the body of like a man who was in his late forties when you know Briggs would have been in his seventies. Yeah, they found that's the big uh, super that's, mind fuck is that this that, body is only in his late forties and it should be seventy years old. So what does that mean? Right. So I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. The one thing is in the original series when um, there's that scene with Cooper and uh, Major Briggs when they're night fishing, they're camping, and Major Briggs mentions um, the White Lodge. Like, have you ever heard of the White Lodge? And then Cooper, who hadn't, goes off to urinate, you know, to uh, urinate in the woods, and then that white light appears, that blinding white light, and then that shadow figure who... Is it the dweller on yeah, the threshold? Is the dweller that, on yeah, the threshold, right? yeah. And so he disappears, and then Major Briggs is gone for a couple of episodes, and then he shows back up in uh, in his house, and he's dressed like uh, he's been uh, fighting in World War One. He's dressed in some kind of like you know Red Baron <laughs> Ace outfit, so it gives the impression that possibly that you know he had like you know traveled through time because he did mention when he did speak with Cooper and Truman after that. Um, that he believes that he went to the White Lodge. So, um, and I thought about this. This this is just pure, just like, you know, just throwing stuff on the wall or whatever. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, 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 it came to me. Like in the Black Lodge, we've seen all of our scenes in the Black Lodge. We we don't even know if we've been to the White Lodge. And the Black Lodge, obviously, Cooper's, I don't think we have yet. I don't think we have. We might have with the giant in that first scene, right? Possibly. Oh, of episode one when he's in there in black and white. Yeah. Possibly, his, right? Um, so his bungalow. In the white lodge. His bungalow in the White Lodge, right? Yeah. And uh, and uh, um, so yeah, so we know the Black Lodge, right? So we know Cooper. Uh, we've seen everyone, Laura, Leland, you know, uh, the one-armed man, and they've all aged, right? I mean, obviously they've all aged. Um, what if in the White Lodge, for some reason, like when you try or you go there, you you don't age? And what if Major Briggs, like in 1990, 91 or whatever, got taken to the, to the White Lodge again or whatever and was like a Philip Jeffries going through these portals or whatever, through time or whatever, and he just – he wasn't aging. For some I think that like a, him and Philip Jeffries kind of would be like you know the scene in episode end of two and three where Cooper is careening through the astral like black hole sheet. Right. I think that's what they could be doing a lot. They're to like time lords, kind of like Doctor Who, like spending a lot of time jetting around different time, like being able to time travel through different astral planes. Perhaps you just don't age at all because you're always moving. Well, that's the one thing is that not aging. He was frozen in some catatonic state, perhaps. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe he's just been in the lodge the entire time. Because I don't think you're right, though. Cooper has aged in the lodge. He has. He's aged 25 years. And he aged. We saw him in the, well, what they said was in the original series, like the very first time we went to the Red Room was in the International Pilot. It said 25 years later and Cooper looked aged. So obviously you age in, in, in the uh, in the Black Lodge. But um, the, another curious element to Briggs um, is something that they had mentioned earlier was that his fingerprints were found at 16 different crime scenes. So, I mean... Yeah, what the fuck is that? Crime mean? scenes. That's the one thing I can't understand, like crime scenes. So it would be interesting... Like Maybe there's a doppelganger to Major, Major Garland yeah, Briggs. Yeah, I mean... This opens up. I mean, I really can't wrap my head around it. Because really Major Briggs like, couldn't be like on a terror spree, going around murdering people. He's unless like the, he had a, unless he was like Mr. C, right? Unless there was a doppelganger. doppelganger. Like yeah. he had Mike in him or a Sooty or. Kill I hope Bill. we. Uh, wonder. Or, do you think we're going to see any more uh, Don Davis? Is a visage or something going on later on this uh, season? I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I we're I talking mean, about him so much. I think we need to see him again somehow. What's huge? I see what I'd like to see personally. What he's doing? Like if he's stuck in the astral plane, his head's floating around. 
Like, what else is going on? I'd like to see that. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. Any more Don Davis. We need Davis. more Twin Peaks of white, white elders, like White uh, Lodge elders, like the Log Lady and Major Briggs. They're gone now, you know? So I would Well, like don't you think that if they, if, if they can do that with Major Briggs, that they can do the same thing with David Bowie? Yes, I think, I think they can. I think they can, and I think they will do the same thing to some extent. I think they will. It's you interesting. Think you might Skype that, David Bowie in at some point. Well, you uh, have you noticed at the end of each credit sequence, there's um, at the very bottom it says like uh, clips from Twin Peaks the series and clips from Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. So we've seen clips from the series, you know, with Bob and, and Cooper and Laura saying, "I'll see you again in 25 years," but we have not seen a clip from Fire Walk with Me. It would be interesting if one really? of the clips that we've seen that we see from Firewalk with Me is related to David Bowie. I thought we saw maybe a scene. Remember when they put the ring back on the table or something? Was there any anything with the ring from Firewalk with Me? That well, that that's a very similar shot um, of the camera, like you know, like on that like golden like you know table marble or something. Yeah, it looks like thing. a clam, but it's yeah, probably clammy, not a clam. Yeah. And then the but then the one our man puts the ring on the table. I, I think that was. A new shot. I, I don't think it's very similar to a shot in Firewalk with the Moon. I, th- I think it was a new shot. But um, let's talk about. Uh, unless you want to talk more about Major Bree. I mean, there's just so many mysteries with that. We've got the ring, the Dougie's ring, in his belly, right? That uh, Constance found during the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I find curious about that is if that's Dougie's ring. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and I apologize if I if I have. That if Dougie's wedding ring was found in Major Briggs's belly, which it was apparently, when we were first introduced to the Dougie Jones proper, the actual Dougie, he is not wearing a wedding ring. He is wearing the Owl Cave ring, a lodge ring on his spiritual finger. That exactly, uh, which Cole pointed out. Yeah, it's just there's just so. I mean, I think we could. Really well, de- we also have not even spoken about the most uh, impactful and bizarre uh, cameo in that scene was the appearance of uh, Sooty, aka Mr. Bloonhead. Killer Bill walking down the hallway right behind Lieutenant Knox as she's talking, reporting back to Ernie Hudson. Um, that was a terrifying and amazing scene. I think we may have seen, our, we may have just seen our new Killer Bob. He may be our new antagonist, main antagonist. Uh, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but he's the guy we saw in episode two who was whose head floated away in the jail cell, and he is stalking the morgue again, just like Mike used to. Just like Bob uh, in something. He did a drive-by this time, just like the, uh, the cowboy in Mulholland Drive. But that was some creepy shit. Yeah, and she and he appears. The first time that he appears, like in that long shot where we're, we're focused in on Lieutenant Knox, when she tells um, Colonel Davis, Ernie Hudson, it's his head that's missing. As soon as she says that, we get the glimpse. Yeah, just him, that moment, zoink. Which I found very curious Hugh. because when we... You know, when we're, we are introduced to him, we see his body dissolve, but his head floats away. And he is he passes by the actual you know room where Major Briggs's you know body with his missing head is. And so it's it's all got to be like tied in together in yeah, some fashion, I would think. Mean? Well, you but, think that you thought that he might be Mike. He might be the. Well, that's first, a theory. Yeah. yeah, that we've never seen the spirit of Mike, what he looks like. We know what the spirit Bob looks like. But it's possible that what we're seeing with uh, – you're calling him a killer bill, which I really like, or Sooty or Mr. Balloonhead is uh, the possible um, uh, embodiment of, of Mike, the spirit of Mike. Um, and I, 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 I would hope that to be true um, just because 
you know, we know of Mike. He's been in the one-armed man, and he's been helpful at times and maybe not so helpful. And it would be interesting if he was the one that Mr. C was talking to after he, you know, he had just killed Daria. Dude, I and, can't imagine that guy could even speak. Well, because didn't, didn't Philip Jeffries say, or, or who Mr. C thought was he was talking to Philip Jeffries, that you're going back in tomorrow and I will be with Bob again. So that's why that, that's why the Mike thing you know, plays out. Somehow I just don't feel that he's Mike now for some reason after seeing him here. I think like he's something different. And I find it interesting that they both are kind of like even Bob kind of has that they both look like loggers. They have like, it's like, it goes back to the secret history of Twin Peaks when they talk about, um, you know, that perhaps that the Bob looks the way he does because he inhabited a, uh, a guy named Denver Bob in Colorado. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause maybe this guy is like Denver Bill. Because he looks a lot like a you know a fellow logging weirdo you know with the long hair and the, and the jackets and the beard and the whole thing. Well, wasn't Denver Bob like he was with another person and um, I believe they were at Owl Cave and they were like the first people maybe to kind of discover it, or maybe the first the first white people white maybe? people to yeah, yeah uh, encounter it and uh, I think like the the other guy who I can't remember his name but. Um, I think, you know, when he awoke that next day, like Denver Bob was gone, like his horse was gone or whatever. And, you know, he was never heard from again or whatever. So uh, there really isn't much to that other than the fact that Denver Bob, it's a great sounding name. His name Bob. And it's got Bob, that that could have been the first embodiment. Um, But it wasn't Glastonbury Grove. It was Owl Cave, you know. So, but who the hell knows? But um, I keep imagining like there could be a whole spinoff of Denver Bill and Killer Bob or, you know, these two guys like they might have been the original dudes like the McKenzie brothers to stagger into Owl Cave, not knowing what's going on. And then the White Lodge spirits that may look like the box monster may look like Laura Palmer's face removed, like just inhabits these bodies. And now they're because they kind of like like uh, Killer I don't know what what should we call him? Is still Mister Balloonhead, but the guy we saw, Sooty, yeah, like Sooty, but I like Killer Someone. <laughs> well, the only reason why I called him Killer Bill is because Bill Hastings he was seen to be haunting him. But like, well, yeah, yeah. But I what like if the... those two guys were the original guys that got, uh, and that there's some sort of like zombie killers now because, you know, why don't they look like Native American, for example, like the the Nez Perce had interactions with uh, the lodge spirits, right? Uh, maybe the white guys were the corruptible ones. And the ones that were already had flaws that they could take advantage of as hosts. Well, know. what's interesting about him too, when we see him, that that electrical sound design that yeah, Lynch here created, we go again with that, yeah, right. And there's been several instances of that um, throughout the series, and and most recently too, like I think in episode six where we see the traffic light for the first time, and then when we see the the electrical pole after the hit and run. They've just really, Lynch really kind of amped up that electrical, like, current. And here we are again with Sooty slash, you know, Killer Bill at the same time. We've always, at least I've always associated electricity with the spirits somehow, like, you know, like, you're kind of like harnessing it or traveling through it. Um, to some, uh, because remember Leland would always like he would turn the fan on, like you know Laura, yeah. like and even and, people tracked like uh, little Dicky Horn when he was driving that car, like he parked it under like power lines. There's a lot of power lines going. Yeah, on. right. There's I mean obviously, and then Cooper obviously went through the number three in the purple room, which was this kind of like what like a wall socket, you know. Um, and we and, hear an electrical hum in the Great Northern Hotel. As well. Yeah, I mean there's all kinds of yeah. So so I don't know. I mean the electrical I think bill can, in the Black Lodge must be enormous. <laughs> That's, oh my friend that is very good that is very very good 
That's uh, we should well, wrap we it up right now. Are, are, yeah. are we done now? Because yeah. uh, no, we I'm actually, kidding. We, I'm we, kidding. We, no. we, we forgot to talk. Uh, we've got still got the Cobra to talk about, my friend. No, we've Vegas. got we got many things to talk about, yeah. and I just want to mention that what we should probably do is in regards of uh, Bill Killer Bill Sooty and Major Briggs. I mean, I think that deserves its own like you know kind of hour long podcast. I mean, because we well, can, we have been a lot of our conspiracy theory deep dive podcasts have been about that. It's just that right. we've been talking about this a lot. I think this is really. You know, other than Mr. C, uh, all that stuff is, is that kind of ties into the main mystery. I think this is going to lead us potentially to the White Lodge or something. Well, do you think that, that another reason why this episode was so rewarding was because we really only got one, you know, Dougie scene and, and we, yes. got, we, we, got we got the Cobra, basically. And we yeah. got the Cobra. We've been waiting and waiting. Finally, our prayers are answered. The Cobra strikes back. His primal <laughs> uh, learned FBI skills come into play when he's leading Janie out. Uh, and Ike the Spike comes to try to kill him with a gun this time because his spike got bent and was probably in the shop. And uh, he's just instinctively knew what to do, just like a Secret Service agent. And he dropped him to the ground. It could have been a normal scene, but then, boom, there's the baby uh, arm tree, sycamore tree popping out of uh, the ground um, like a weed while they're in mid-struggle for the gun. And he, what does he say to him? I think he says, squeeze his hand. Squeeze his hand off. Or squeeze his and, hand off, yeah. Which he yeah. did to some extent because didn't he leave or there was a piece of the Ike the Spike's flesh still yeah, like, like singed, kind of like, or like singed yeah. to the... Or he the, grabbed him so hard that he's ripped the flesh off of him. His grip yeah, is but so it was iron. But that scene, the very final scene of that after the interviews, the camera focuses on that and Lynch does this aperture thing or whatever where you see this, you know, like he wants you to focus in on like the police taking that piece of flesh off the yeah, gun and into up. the evidence bag. There was a lot of close-ups in this. Uh, yeah, it was episode. very. And but I love that scene the way they did it, and then they shot it like uh, you know, like all cut quick with all the reactions and the woman calling him a cobra, and it was just <laughs> fantastic to see Dougie. Of course, the second it happened, he goes back into Dougie mode. Right. But we got to see that this is like uh, it's going to happen. That, it, that and it's not going to take seven more episodes. I don't think for him to bust out. Well, no, I think that. Seeing those interviews with the the bystanders means that you know this is going on the air, the local news. Yeah, and someone is, is going to see this, there. right? I mean, yep. someone's going to see this. I mean, it's all. I mean, I think now that the FBI is going to come back to um, the, the the penitentiary, they're going to wind up in Buckhorn, and then the Dougie thing, the ring, and, and Major Briggs's stomach will lead to like Vegas and Cooper. In Vegas, and then ultimately Twin Peaks. I think so. It's all coming together. That's it's what's all so coming together. About this episode. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about also the the great like you know three minute scene of uh, the, the the person sweeping up while uh, Jean Michel <laughs> is uh, uh, doing a crossword yeah. puzzle before a, a yeah. very interesting obviously, phone call? Yeah, they had obviously an off day at the Roadhouse, and all the bands <laughs> were on tour. It was probably was a Monday or something like that, and uh, they were cleaning up. The, the guy had an extremely small broom. He I've did, right? A lot of floors in my day. He must just be into the the meditational aspect of it, um, because it took a good two minutes, three minutes. How long was it? Two minutes? It was, I think, long? almost three minutes long, um, or maybe yeah. just over two. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. seemed like forever the first time, but it was very hypnotic. It was hypnotic. Uh, I thought we were going to be done. Like, I thought that was it. I thought they were going to roll credits. Well, yeah. I've got so when I'm watching it on Hulu, I try not to like see how long the episode is because I just I just want to let it like kind of unfold and get lost in it but when that scene about like 45 seconds into that scene I knew that okay either the credits are going to roll 
or we're going to you know, stay here for another couple of minutes or whatever. I actually got my remote and hit pause to see how long the episode was, and there was still like 10 minutes left to go. So I didn't think that he would sustain that shot for another 10 minutes. But um, it was excruciating at first only because the episode was so brilliant up to that point. Um, it was like, give me more, give me more. But here we go. Like Lynch is tapping the brakes, right? Yeah, because right before that scene, they, they do that slow pan over the woods of Twin Peaks at night. And I was like, okay, here it is. The last like is going to be something fucking crazy. And it was just sweeping at the roadhouse. But then we get to see uh, you know, Jacques Renault's uh, twin brother, evil twin Jean-Michel, who was just as evil as the original Jacques. And all, all, I guess all of the brothers are all not good guys because we get to hear about how they have, uh, you know, he's being squeezed by someone, potentially wanting to take over the roadhouse maybe because he's getting busted uh, doing some illegal sex trafficking with underage women, something like that, little smoking babies. I'm not sure what that was all about, but uh, uh, he's a bad guy. And that's what that, that whole setup was for. Um, but then we get a final scene, uh, you know, that I think was a wonderful ending as well. Did we even talk about? Did we talk about the Great Northern in detail? We kind of did in the beginning, but is there anything else you want to say about that before we? Well, I mean, one of the things, just you know, artistically speaking, is that um, you know this new series was shot on digital, and you know the the original series it had that just that warmness. It was shot on film, all these like you know, bright colors. It really had a very distinct look, and that was one of the things that I was worried about. In fact, when I saw the first real kind of proper. Uh, teaser where it actually showed some characters. I remember not liking the Harry Dean shot. I remember you said like, I love that shot. I just didn't like the yeah. look of it. It seemed kind of artificial and too digital or whatever. But um, And still some, some of the daylight scenes, I still kind of feel that way. But all of the nighttime scenes and especially that scene in the Great Northern, it's yeah. this kind of like just chocolatey brown, yeah. this black and this gold and with, with that sound design and that hum and the, just the hypnotic camera movements. The pan, slow pan. it just felt like the old days in the Great it Northern. Really still did. haunted. Yeah. Right. It really, really did. I, I really like, of course, there's some very, you know, some iconic scenes that we've had just in these first seven parts or whatever. But I will take that scene. You know, put him up against any other scene, and I well, I think that was painting as well. I would live in that scene too. I'd like to check in, like uh, Mr. Tenenbaum, and never check out. But uh, (laughs) I mean, I thought that we were going to pan and slowly see a reveal of Audrey in a wheelchair or something. You know what I'm saying? Right. We didn't get that. Right. They're still teasing Audrey to it. But it was just perfect. It was just perfect. The whole like you know, you've got the mysterious hum, and then you've got this mysterious flirtation and then you've got the mysterious the key, key. Up. Yeah. and then the, then ben goes into his you know his proper office or his like you know whatever there's a side room there that i think that opens up where i think it's more spacious or whatever but then the camera slowly pans into the wall and the wood and fades out i mean it was just a beautiful like three four five minute scene however long it was i loved it it was great yeah and we also got introduced to ashley judd's character we haven't talked about her boyfriend or husband tom at home who's dying of some disease who's your namesake the only tom i've ever seen mentioned in uh, twin peaks by the I way i think there was tim and tom's taxidermy in twin peaks was a reference i think okay. uh, a squeaky cool. from laverne and shirley was tim pinkle i think <laughs> um, pinkle and Not his Finkel brother was <laughs> it was an ankle, um, the great Tapeheads movie. Yeah, but um, he I think he he's the brother of Tom uh, Pinkle, but we never got a Tom Pinkle in uh, in the other than a reference to it. We haven't seen a Tom until this Tom. And what a very interesting scene, right? She comes home. She's uh, like, oh, can I fix you dinner? And he's obviously a little suspicious of her. And then she like turns the tables on him, right? She's uh, what did she say? Like, you know, I didn't want to start working again. 
You know, uh, what else did she say? Was that it basically? Well, she just kind of talked about, you know, that it's hard for her to be in the position when he's, you know, terminal and, right. uh, you know, she's having to caretake for him and go out and work and do and work for Ben and slay, maybe get sexually harassed a little bit in that scene, you know, what she has to put up with. It kind of put a different dimension. Like, cause people I think were going, oh, you know, maybe they're kind of flirting in this scene. Are they flirting? Do, do you think flirting. it was flirty or do you think that she was kind of. I think of she's just... doing it just to get along and to get out of the room with him. Like, he's 70 oh, something, 80 years old. She's not I know, him. but he's still Ben Horn. He's still very but, potent and virile. But um, yeah, so I think she still, was he was flirting. She was trying to avoid it, I think. Oh, I think as nice as possible. I think she was definitely into him. I really Oh really? Think, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I think Well, that, I mean, I guess you're I could see Don't she you do that that first at the home with her husband. That first that. bit, right? Where he's like, okay, he goes like, All right, just just be quiet. And he's like, All right, just listen, close your eyes. And he's doing it with his hands and mm-hmm. I, I like He's doing it like I kind of outstretched a little bit. I really thought he was going to touch her her, her breasts. I they did were too. very close. In the beginning, <laughs> he was right. gesticulating all over her breasts, right. very close. And I was yes. like, your hands were very close to just very grabbing close. her boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad that he that didn't. Well. But yeah. I really felt that there is a genuine flirtation. Of course, yes, he's probably 30 years older than her or whatever. But um, he still is Ben Horn. He owns the Great Northern. He is an icon in that town. And he's a very powerful man. And she is with a man who, obviously, you know, he's he's ill, but their marriage is rocky. Maybe not because of that. So, um, so who knows? We don't. I look at it like a novel, right? So this whole thing is that you know we've got this main plot and these main characters, but sometimes you know we'll go off on these secondary characters and these little kind of like you know tributaries. And this felt like a little tributary, right? Let's let's get a little color yeah. into her well, life. And it gave and depth to her character. You know, get depth, like, right, you, know exactly. I, you know how lucky I am to have this job. You know, like so you get to see her as a real person, right? Um, whether it goes any more further with the Tom character or not. But I do think that's an interesting idea if, uh, if she is uh, interested in Ben. That would well, be it would set, I mean, it would be, like uh, yeah. It would, reformed. Right, it would I set up a daughter, conflict, but, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, because he's probably still married. Because I think he's wearing a wedding ring to he's Sylvia. Still married to poor Mrs. Horn. What are Sylvia? you doing to this family? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where the fuck is Johnny? Has Johnny been shipped off somewhere? Well, no Audrey, no Johnny, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Who knows? He's very lonely. I sensed that Ben was very lonely after yeah. all of his uh, debaucherous doings. He's probably had a bad rep around town. And if he wasn't going to start, you know, going up to the Jacks anymore, he probably sold that a few years ago. <laughs> What's he got? Yeah. I think he's got more. I think there's more to it. I think we're going to see uh, a little bit more. I don't think he's the Ben of old. I think he. I think he's like he, he kind of vacillates. I think he's he's got the old cad, the old like Ben who'll do anything for a buck. And I think it's it's there's a little bit of the kind of the the reformed Ben a little bit. I think he's like somewhere in the middle. I think he vacillates and he's trying to be respectful. Jerry. He's just gone completely off the deep end, obviously. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, but it was good. I, maybe I was feeling gun shy that maybe there was going to be some un-PC, uh, untoward type of thing with Ben, with uh, Beverly. But he, he didn't. There still may be, my friend. There yeah. still may be. So, hey, let's talk about Mr. C. Let's talk about Mr. C. He, he busts out of prison with his uh, buddy... Uh, <laughs> Your favorite, uh, your favorite uh, <laughs> face man there, Just right? Just the look right. on his face uh, makes me laugh every time I see him. But I don't think he's, he's long for this world because he talked. Uh, he's going to get shot, I believe, once he gets uh, – Bad C gets the – or Bad Coop gets the information from him. Um, you may want to explain that a little bit because I don't think people really picked that up yet. They well, let me ask that. you a question first about um, Mr. C. So uh, we see him obviously with Diane. I think that's our first uh, scene of him in, um, in this part. 
But right after that scene, he goes back, he's taken back to his cell. So he's been there for a couple of days, right? So he gets taken back to his cell, the guard puts him in, and he chooses at that moment, hey, tell Warden Murphy that I'd like to talk to him. And the guard's like, hey, you know, yeah, whatever. I like the way he, he just... steps away confidently, steps away from the jail cell confidently when he goes back into the dark. Did you notice right, that? Right, he goes back. I There's love a little swagger. Steps a little back swagger the step back. Right. But why did he choose at that moment to go see uh, the warden when he could have done it at any point? Because obviously he's had this information about the dog legs, Mr. Strawberry, and Joe McCluskey. I think it's because of Diane. I think Diane, I think, oh, I think he kind of... He felt well, why would he, he have wanted to sit around at all? Like, does it make sense? Why would he ever want to sit around in federal prison? If he's going to he's going to pull this anyway and get what's his name out of jail in order to kill him, uh, why don't they just do that immediately? What, well, no, I think happen? that there was like a plan in place, but I think that the Diane situation showing up when she did made him kind of you know expedite the matter. Like, okay, all right, because I think he felt because he seems omniscient. Right, I mean, he seems to know yeah, everything. If you some... look, if you if you think about that scene in the original series where Bob is in Leland, and he's being questioned after they actually, you know, cuffed him basically, and, and Cooper solved the crime, you know, from the giant to the clues like you know break the code, solve the crime or whatever, is that Leland said something like, "Hey, just like what happened to you in Pittsburgh, right, Coop? Something about like knives or whatever. Do you remember that scene?" Yeah, um, I Leland do. says that. So it was like if the uh, the implication was that well, Leland knew of a situation. Yeah, Bob is omniscient somehow. Yeah, he knows, Bob your, did, your, right. he knows your darkest secrets. He right. can re- read your darkest secrets. So that's the implication of of Warden Murphy of him like knowing all this stuff. But he seemed to set that up because he actually had a dog leg in his trunk. So he knew. Was that he, he driving to the the jail to get thrown in jail with the dog leg in the trunk? Was it all a plan? Well, I think the plan was to go see Ray or whatever, but you know that he downloaded the security system for that federal penitentiary right after he killed Daria. So it's still a little bit vague as to you know whether he thought or he was intending to get you know um, incarcerated to be close to Ray. But now that we're actually in prison, I think that since the Diane situation, I think he he felt that he might have pulled one over on Gordon and Albert like a little bit to buy himself some time but he didn't with Diane so it was like all right, I've got to expedite I've got to get Ray I've got to get the hell out of here and what he wants with Ray basically is is that if people remember in episode two that Ray was the only person that Hastings the great Matthew Lillard his secretary had some information that was related to coordinates um, that Mr. C wanted. He didn't need. He wanted. And also, Ray was the one that... How does a secretary to a high school principal have secret coordinates? I have no fucking idea. And that is some grand... <laughs> we were trying history. to make right. it sense by... Her name is Betty. We were thinking maybe she was Betty Briggs and it was right. tied into Major Briggs. But if she's not, then that is a very strange uh, you know, plot turn that somehow... These secret coordinates are known by a high school teacher, but we have discussed well, yeah, we maybe talk- they have a have a discovered something in their high school class out there looking at the stars themselves. <laughs> right. Maybe they've got some coordinates. Right. Maybe the stars turn into time presents itself. Yes. Like it's related to Buckhorn somehow yes. and the Hastings. But um, but also that conversation that Mr. C recorded between Daria and Ray. Ray intimated that Jeffries called him and wanted him to kill. Mr. C, but since he was now in jail, Daria would have to do it. So, you know, uh, I think what uh, Mr. C is going to um, interrogate 
Ray, not only what Hastings' secretary told him, but what the hell is Jeffrey's doing? Who's like, you know, why why someone want to put a hit on him? And and, and sure who why? is it? Is it Jeffrey's? Why? Well, why I mean, would someone? Well, we know why, know but who? Reasons. Well, I mean, who who would do it? Is it Jeffrey's or is it someone else? I love the scene when he breaks out of jail, like the uh, when they let him out. Oh, that night scene with the flashlight. It was very surreal, and he steps out in full Mister C garb and stands there, and then out comes Ray, and Ray walks by with a little smirk, thinking that he's got off easy. <laughs> Yeah. Lucky to be friends with Mr. Sewell. I, th- I thought at the second he walked outside the door, he was just going to shoot him in the head. But um, obviously he's got to get some uh, some information for him first. He but does. But now Mr. C is on the loose. It's a shakedown. So, See, I think he's going to uh, team up again with um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, whose name is Chantel. Chantal? Chantal, Chantal yeah. And her husband, who we haven't seen but mentioned as Hutch. Uh, they right. seem to be some kind of like cleaners for Mr. C. And I think we're going to get back into that little like mystery the coordinates some of these accomplices and uh, ray is going to be you know shaken down and probably offed obviously daria is 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 already dead and where it goes from there we don't know don't you but, think the warden's going to be in some serious trouble when the fbi shows back up and back yes gone? well yeah i mean wasn't that great that shot after you know mr c and ray left it cut to him like he's yeah, observing he's all this yeah. and lynch's masterful sound design was very like foreboding and i think that's when we actually cut to the trees you know that shot that you yes. mentioned over the right, over twin peaks or whatever but peaks. yeah how is he going to explain you know mr c you know escaping no he didn't escape he's got to come up with some kind of cover he's got to do something he can't right. just say he released him he's got to right. say he escaped somehow right so now think, he's on. Now he's really wanted. Now he's like number one wanted in the whole country, probably. Right. Do you think? I mean, obviously, I think Mr. C knows that uh, Cooper uh, is 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 back. Basically, he, we might not know the circumstances beyond it because the switcheroo didn't happen. He actually saw Dougie getting pulled into uh, the Black Lodge. That's and right. He saw him on the throne. That's right. He saw him on second, the throne. Right. And then before him, before the there's the whole season. thing of like we don't know who was trying to. First, the warrior, Lorraine, and now Ike the Spike, who was calling the shots, like, you know, the hit on Cooper, right? We don't know who that is. Could it be Mr. C? Could it be Jeffries? We don't know it. But it seems like one of the things that Mr. C wants to do is he'll want to take care of Cooper, right? Yeah, he's got to. I think that's they're both not going to be able to fulfill their missions, their respective missions, until the other guy is out of the way. Well, one of them must die per right. you know, the one-armed man's instructions. But I thought also it was it was stated in the lodge by the evolution of the arm that they couldn't be in like you know the, like one would have to come in for the other one to go back out. They couldn't both exist in that same plane, but they do. And I think that's why a bunch of people were speculating about maybe an alternate timeline. But I think that's been blown to hell, right? Because uh, yeah, I think no, it's been blown to hell. Yeah, yeah I think it's completely been yeah. blown to hell. There's no alternate timeline going right. on here. So overall, this episode was just uh, just a feast. I mean, it had it had pretty much everything. It was, a uh, it was fan service, but not like you know like typical fan service. But it was a callback, something that we've all been waiting for 25 years with the, the missing pages and seeing someone like you know uh, Doc Hayward and hearing Audrey Diane. Horn's name and having, Diane and having a great scene with, with Ben Horn and Jerry, but then also the new plot pieces. You know the whole Briggs. Um, mystery and you know Sooty, Sooty. and and uh, or Mr. Balloonhead, 
and Mr. Balloon and AK or Kill the Bill. Bill. AK, AK Mike. Killer Bill. Yeah, AK, AK Mike. Mike. Now, all these elements, right? And uh, and then the Cobra Cooper. I mean, so it Cobra really was Cooper. a feast. It was great. I've already watched it five times. It's, it's only been three <laughs> days. Yeah. You're going for the record. I've only watched it two, two and a half times, but uh, yeah. I, I intend to rewatch it again. Um, one thing that I was struck by, one of our last thoughts, because we need to wrap up, was that like I'd been critical of some of the female roles in the show up until this point, not being you know fully developed, and that they're all victims or whores, you know, all this. It was they weren't painted as, as realistic women. Shrews, shrews, victims, victims, and whores. Well, the characters, the female characters, were very strong in this episode. You know, from Jane Addams to Lieutenant Knox to Diane, they really, I think that uh, they really, to, to Beverly, um, who am I else? And Janie E. Yeah, Janie E. has really done great. The last two episodes, they've really given her a lot to do, and, and, and uh, Naomi Watts has just hit it out of the park. I've really loved her um, in the last two episodes. So good job to the writers, David Lynch and Mark Frost and everybody. Um, you're going to get the PC police off your back and make us all a little happy because even I was starting to feel a little bit, you know, uncomfortable with some gratuitous shots of uh, Tamara Preston's buttocks. But, uh, you know, now in the grand scheme of things, uh, different strokes for different folks. Everyone's different. I, I accept all of it as one whole and I love it. Um, so I think this is uh, any final thoughts for you on this episode? Well, just just perfectly stated, just another reason for people not to go ahead and judge too soon. Let let it play out, you know. If yeah, you want to go ahead and say out. that after 18 episodes, and you know, by all means, go ahead. But there's there's a plan in place. These two guys, these geniuses, Lynch and Frost, they have created something, and we're seeing it unfold. You know, an hour after an hour, and after 18 hours, go ahead, let's do it. But we're now seeing, like you just said, some elements in place, or some we're seeing some strong female performances, and uh, I think it's only going to like. Obviously, I think there's still going to be some. You know, violent scenes or maybe some misogyny, some extent. It's the world of Lynch. It's the world of Twin Peaks. But you know, it's it's life. It's all these different factions. You're going to get everything or whatever. So just hold off on it. You know, they've got uh, more aces up their sleeve. Yep, and they just showed us, uh, you know, some really good aces this episode, and we can't wait to see what's. I want to see what the major ace is. What's on Cooper's ace of spades? His dog like, ace, dog head ace. Yeah, the I owl an image. I think it's an ant. An ant. An ant. We'll continue this discussion next time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, See you later.